You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders! It's Thanksgiving weekend, and really, it's the kickoff to the Christmas season. And I am here, I am your host, your Spider-Pan Jeremy, and I didn't come alone! Who's that over there? Uh, uh, just a minute, I'm still recovering from Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. Hey everyone, it is Lost Boy Woohoo! Also known as Lost Boy Eric. And yeah, I've I, I still got turkey uh, coming out everywhere. Because <laughs> we, we decided to host uh, here at the apartment, uh, and so my wife got to go and make a turkey, and she made it in this really nice brine with like chicken broth, and then she baked it with with celery and I think onions and then put a Jonathan apple in there and so it, it was really good but we've been eating it for every meal ever since <laughs> mm. and we actually managed in our small kitchen and apartment we fit our, our well at least her family that all came over so her immediate family were all there we fit us all in the kitchen we had a great time did you have a great Thanksgiving you know we did we did we uh, had originally planned to meet with some friends for uh, Thanksgiving dinner, and about uh, noon the day before, we realized that we had two sick kids, and it would not be uh, appropriate oh. for them to be going to uh, a family, uh, another family's event for fear of getting anybody else sick. So, while it was too late for us to thaw out our turkey, we did have a ham that we were able to cook up and had a really nice dinner. Um, actually spent the morning at an event, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, and then spent uh, the evening... Uh, just being nice and rested and getting ready for a day back at work on Friday and a nice weekend following that. You know, this actually, speaking of uh, fun, weird Thanksgiving stories and cooking some up that day, we had a Thanksgiving that was just going to be Heather and I. Uh, I think it might have been one of our first ones when we first got married. And it was just going to be us in our apartment. And we thought, well, we'll just go and, uh, you know, because turkey ends up being stuck with it forever. And so we thought we would roast a chicken or fry a chicken or something like that. And uh, we didn't get it cooked mm-hmm. thoroughly enough. <laughs> we had a heck of a time Ooh. trying to fry this chicken because, like, we'd get the outside all fried, but we didn't get the meat cooked. And so we had to fry it. And then we kind of had to put it in the oven trying to cook it the rest of the way. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> so we, oh, and I think that, no, that wasn't quite the same year. It was a Christmas later that uh, we, I was trying to make an apple pie because we had some friends coming over. And I had one can of pie apples and one can of just unsweetened apples. And I just mixed them together. I put a little extra cinnamon and stuff into the pie. Uh, then the first piece I, you know, I figured I was going to try it. The first piece I get out and it was really bland and I actually had an apple stem. 
that <laughs> was in mm. it. But this year I made up for it. I made a cherry pie that I used one, you know, can of, you know, pie ready cherries. And we actually had some actual cherries from my in-laws tree. They have a cherry tree. And so I added that in with some artificial sweetener because diabetics always have artificial sweetener. Uh, and I mixed that up and it actually made a really good pie because you have enough of the sweetness from the, the can and enough of that good tart with the, with it from the, uh, from the real cherry tree. And uh, it's just a great sweet tart. You put a little whipped cream on that and it's even sweeter. Oh, it was fantastic. So, oh yes, I could sit here and talk about pie all day long, but I guess we better talk about some stuff that's going on in the world of Disney. <laughs> yes, we should. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Well, there. let's jump over to Hong Kong just for a start because it would be a weird place to start. Uh, there's an expansion going oh, on over there with actually a government injection of $5.8 in Hong Kong dollars. Oh, yes. Yes. A lot of changes coming to uh, the Hong Kong Disneyland Resort, beginning with the very first remodeling of a Disney castle that's already existing. Which is weird. <laughs> now, yes, yes. Uh, you may know that uh, Disneyland Hong Kong has got a replica of Sleeping Beauty's castle uh, that's in Disneyland. And uh, the plans are to uh, make this look a bit more like uh, the Disney World and even the Shanghai uh, castles that are already out there. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, this process uh, go forth. Uh, certainly it's uh, no change of plans for Disney to uh, you know, go back in and make changes and make uh, fixes to their castles. But this is really going to be the first time they've gone in and really... Uh, Almost started back from the ground. Yeah, up. that's boy, that's a big one. Uh, but this is going to be six years to do the total expansion, starting in 2018, uh, and they're going to bring some Frozen and some more Marvel superheroes in there, along with, of course, the the big castle change. Uh, what I would love to see is some pictures, because I'm sure they've got a plan for what this castle is going to look like, and I I haven't seen any pictures of what this castle is going to look like. Have you? Yeah, I've seen one picture. Um, I'm not entirely sure if it's uh, accurate, but the base of the castle still keeps its uh, same look from Sleeping Beauty Castle, but they're going to be expanding and using that as a model going forward and upward. Well, it should be interesting. We'll see, because if it's anything like what they did in Shanghai, the Shanghai Castle is beautiful. I mean, my goodness. Oh, yeah. So, if it, you know, using some of maybe that uh, idea and a little bit of, of course, the Walt Disney World Castle is also a wonderful. So, if it's somewhere in between in that, it should be really cool. So, Hong Kong may oh, just yeah, end definitely. up being one of the best parks around the world here if they keep this up. I mean, goodness sakes, they keep putting stuff much stuff. Definitely. And, and I may have to reach out to a special correspondent in Hong Kong to uh, see if they can give us any information that they have access oh, to. Oh, well, uh, yeah, as long as you have one, that'd be great. So... Either that or somebody find a way to fly us to Hong Kong so we can check it out ourselves. Because I want to go on uh, Mystic Manor. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, and you know, really, this is the second major expansion that has come to Hong Kong Disneyland. Because you do have Mystic Point, where Mystic mm -hmm. Manor is found, uh, along with uh, 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 a new... Yeah, my brain just shut down. Uh, there, There's a uh, bear-themed 
roller coaster that's over there as well that uh, also opened a few years ago with Winston Manor. And so, uh, again, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they expand and where they expand and, and what they use to expand with uh, you know this new Frozen Land as well as more Marvel. Yep, and uh, they're right now they're trying to tell all their uh, citizens, because this is tax money from locals coming in, and right now the uh, Commerce Minister Greg So Cam Long is defending the use of taxpayer money and saying that 10.9 the, the 10.9 billion project uh, has been well received by lawmakers and they're going to get back a lot of interest of around 300 million in interest every year until this loan is paid off mm. uh, but the interesting thing is so it's a it's a government injection of 5.8 billion and the total project then I guess is 10.9 billion so this is Disney getting a little help locally uh, but that's I don't know that I've ever heard of that happening before to actually have taxpayer money put into a Disney project. I mean, that's huge. Actually, for both the the Hong Kong and the Shanghai uh, resorts, uh, that's been one of the primary uh, sources wow. of financing. You know, from the very beginning, is using uh, and working with the local government to you know help build and support. That's the parks. well. I guess if you really want to park that bad, then. Uh, I don't know if they would be able to do that here in the States. I think too many people would be like, you're giving tax money to Disney? What are you doing? So, <laughs> Well, there's there, even here within the United States, there are several tax deals. In fact, I know that uh, part of the Disneyland expansion uh, that incorporated Disney California Adventure was tied up in all sorts of special taxes relating back to the Anaheim Resort District. And even now, uh, with the construction of the new parking garage that's at Disneyland, um, and the expansion that they want to go there, there's still a lot of uh, uh, tax benefits that are that may been made available to the Disney company. So it's 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 not really anything new, but probably something a lot more expansive than what we're bringing in that with. revenue. That's what that is. <laughs> exactly. Taurus, exactly. make money. Uh, but back over uh-huh. here in the states, uh, I actually have something speaking of international. An Epcot. The International Food and Wine Festival for 2017 has announced its dates. Are you ready for this? Mark your calendars. Yes. August 31st through November 13th, and it will be a record 75 days of global culinary creations, celebrity chefs, premium oh, wow. events, Eat to the Beat concerts, and even more. Which I have still actually never gotten to go to this, but it's it's on my to-do list. I don't know if I'm enough of a foodie to go for it, but a part of me is just like, I can eat stuff from around the world and try new things, and so it's kind of exciting. So I I think that's something I will have to aim for. I don't know if I can do it next year, but, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something in the future. I'm going to have to give that a shot. And they, they do have a food and wine festival to a smaller extent at California Adventure as well. So it'll be interesting to see if this is something that's reflected in California. Yeah, because doing the you know the extra long time, you might as well go for it. Bring some people into both parks. Mm-hmm. Money, 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 and food, food, food. <laughs> uh, also coming out of Florida, uh, there's some been some changes in the Disney's Wilderness Lodge. Uh, actually, a little bit uh, from the Disney Vacation Club accommodations known as the Villas. They've actually got a new name. It's the Boulder Ridge Villas at Disney's Wilderness Lodge. Uh, and it's going to try to reflect the railroad theming that they have over there. And it's supposed to complement the storyline. Uh, they're also going to reimagine the Hidden Springs Pool area. And it's going to help tell the backstory of Boulder Ridge. Uh, there is an artist rendering right now that you can find on the Disney's Parks blog. Uh, but they're scheduled to op- this, open this up on the summer of 2017. 
So this is coming very, very, very soon. Uh, it's basically going to be like a facelift, but of course, you know, finding better ways to do the theming. Uh, and uh, the, there's going to be a Boulder Ridge Railway and Mining Company water tower. That's going to be among the Polaris landmark reminders of its pioneering past. And a vintage minecart is going to support the mining theme with, of course, a nod to the Disney history. So very, very interesting. Uh, should be very cool. I've never stayed at the Wilderness Lodge, but I hear it is fantastic. Well, as long as it doesn't affect the hoopty doo review. I'm oh, I, got, I think they got to keep that because I, I've heard a lot of good things about it. No one wants to get rid of that, right? <laughs> oh, right. Uh, well, is there any other news that we should jump in on? Yeah, I think that's about it. With it being Thanksgiving, it's been kind of a slow yep. news week. So At least on the good. Disney front. Uh, we do have some bit of sad news, though, with uh, the passing of Florence Henderson, also known as Mrs. Brady, at the ripe old age of 83, mm -hmm. which came as a shock because uh, I was told that she was actually on television the day before, looking fine, was doing something, and then next day, she's gone. And then, of course, the passing of 71-year-old uh, Ron Glass, known for Barney Miller, also being on Firefly and Serenity as Shepard, and uh, also made an appearance on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as the guy who brought Phil Coulson back to life. Uh, I, I've only seen a little bit of I, I kind of remember him on Barney Miller. I was really little when that show was on. Uh, and they do show it now in syndication, I think, on like MeTV or, or Antenna TV, one of those type of uh, networks that shows all the great old TV shows. And So I have watched a little bit of Barney Miller. Uh, but uh, they're going to be sadly missed. Some great TV legends have passed away. 2016 has been a heck of a year for people passing away. All right, y'all. One more time. It don't matter what you look like. It don't. Nobody gonna sing with me. Okay. The Neverland trailer part. Uh, the trailer we want to talk about this week. If we played the audio for you, you'd get nothing from it whatsoever because there's not a single bit of dialogue. It's all text. Actually, there's one bit of dialogue. Oh, yes. McQueen is fading fast. <laughs> That's about all you get, but... Uh, a lot of deep breathing here to this very dark and kind of intense look at Cars 3. There's a little bit of information I think we can glean from this. Uh, uh, some of it I think I saw a little better seeing it in front of Moana this weekend. Uh, I recognize there's a car that looks like it had a breast cancer ribbon, I think. Uh, kind of a pink car. Maybe there's a female out there in the racers. Also, I think it's significant you see this kind of black kind of... Um, well, it's a very sporty-looking car that you see kind of advancing through the ranks, uh, and I'm thinking that could be a significant character. Maybe it's a new threat. But then, oh my goodness, Lightning McQueen, we see him spin out, and then just the slow-motion, horrific crash where he's just flipping sideways, kind of rolling with sparks and parts are flying off, and you hear, as you were saying, that breathing and... There's a lot of ways I think this story could be going. I mean, this could be... Because they, they say in the text that uh, this summer, 2017, this is going to change everything. Um, which this could mean maybe Lightning McQueen is never going to come back from this and never going to race again. He's going to have to find a new way to live when all he's known has been racing. And that would be an interesting story. Or it could be that Rocky Three comeback trail where he's going to have to have somebody bring him back to make him good again to take on that rival that just took him out. Because maybe that, maybe that car it would be awesome. Actually, if that car was voiced by Mister T, even he says, "I pity the fool. I pity Lightning McQueen." <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, we, oh yeah, definitely. Well, we do have some information about what the story is going Ooh, to be about. All right, be careful. We don't want to spoil it. 
<laughs> well, not not too much. We do know that there's going to be a young Hispanic female car racer named Cruz Ramirez, who's uh, going to you know help teach McQueen these new tricks to keep up with the you know this new uh, younger crowd of racers. You know, McQueen's been racing for about ten years now. You know, he's he's you know no longer a rookie. You know, maybe he's not quite ready for retirement, but uh, he's certainly got well, pardon the pun. He's certainly got some yeah, miles behind. Yeah, but a but, uh, you know, but, you know, you got to think also, you know, part of the car's uh, str- plot is, you know, McQueen had to learn from mm-hmm. Doc Hudson. So is McQueen also going to help teach these new racers something while they teach him something? That would be interesting. You know, maybe he would be the, the Obi-Wan mentor. You know, he's moved on to the next phase. Very well. Now, uh, also, we do know that there's going to be another new character uh, by the name of Jackson Storm, who's a rookie race car. Now, I got to thinking, you got Chick Hicks, who, you know... Kachuga. <laughs> takes on a light... Yeah, Kachuga. This, you know, takes his, uh, you know, thunder thing. You've got Lightning McQueen with his lightning, and now we've got a Storm mm. character. It's going to be interesting. But we do know that part of the story is definitely going to take place in Radiator Springs. And uh, Mater and Sally are both going to be coming back for this movie as well. So we're we're still going to see a lot of our uh, familiar characters and friends. But definitely um, with this new trailer, it shows that it's really going to be a different feel from what we've come to experience. A lot more realism, too. My goodness. Exactly. You know, one of the things that I found really surprising is that... uh, once this trailer was released, a lot of the YouTube commentators were saying, you know, I didn't think that I would wake up this morning and actually have a positive reaction to a Cars 3 yeah. trailer. So it's 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 really interesting to see how they're going to take this, where they're going to go with it. Uh, we do know that John Lasseter is not directing, but he's certainly uh, very involved with yeah. the storyline uh, and what's going on. So it. We've definitely got something interesting to look forward to. Oh, yes, definitely. And uh, I can already tell, you know, there's probably going to be concerns after things like The Good Dinosaur, where it was very serious and very believable, realistic backgrounds, and you had cartoony characters. I still love that film. I still, you know, I watched it actually uh, this this uh, Thanksgiving. We watched it with the family because they had never gotten to see it. Um, and I, but I, I have noticed that Pixar, I mean, ever since Toy Story 3, they've uh, gotten into maybe a little bit darker, a little bit more serious. I mean, Inside Out had some very serious subject matter. Great film. Uh, but they're, the Pixar almost seems to have grown up and matured a little bit in their style. Uh, was still throwing us a little bit of fun. Uh, but really they, they, they seem to have come to a new area of storytelling where they're being a bit more serious at times. And I think this is, continuing in that tradition although i'm sure we'll see our characters will still have a bit of fun in their their look even though if they are a bit more realistic looking uh i think that that cartooniness well, I, and hope I, is going to stick around a little bit well i i do want to point out that uh with incredibles was one of the very first times that they took a look and a stab at a very serious type of subject and you know the way that they went about that and even we can look back to toy story 2 with Jesse's oh, yeah. story yeah. and how they, they really took a look deeper than just, you know, we're just toys having fun and here's our adventure. There's an emotional story behind yeah. it all and an, an emotional tether. Yeah, and they've always had that emotional tether, but it seems, you know, they've gotten more more nitty-gritty to where I think the adults can relate a little bit more too. Uh, and especially Inside Out was right in there for the, the middle school age kids because I mean, that was a very deep growing up issue. 
uh, with a lot of going on mm-hmm. with that. So, I mean, I commend them for doing it as long as they, ha- they keep the fun in there while they're telling these good stories. I'm still going to love Pixar. And sometimes I like their movies better than what Disney puts out sometimes. <laughs> I, cause I, they're just been doing great and it's been such a great partnership. So I was, I was somewhat excited to, oh, okay, Cars 3. Well, that'll be fun. But after seeing this, I'm intrigued on where they're taking this, this story and these characters. So, oh, yeah. you know, looking at that, you know, I, I've had my doubts for Toy Story 4, like, oh, no, but you wrapped such a pretty picture over on Toy Story 3 with such a great ending. But you know what? I would love to see what they think to do with the characters to take it that next step. So. Oh, definitely. But we've beaten that horse to death. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I saw this trailer in front of a really fun movie this week called Moana. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken! Oh, good! For generations. This peaceful island has been home to our family. But beyond our reef, a great danger is coming. Legend tells of a hero who will journey to find the demigod Maui. And together, they will save us all. Of the wind and sea, I am hero a- of men. What? It's actually Maui shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and sea, hero of men. I interrupted from the top. Hero of men, go. I'm not going on a mission with some little girl. This is my canoe, and you will journey to different. Did not see that coming. The ocean is a friend of mine. First, we've got to go through a whole ocean of bad. Kakamora. Kako, what? They're kind of cute. I got your back. It's Maui time. Really? Blow dart in my butt cheek. We're going to the realm of monsters? Don't worry, it's a lot farther down than it looks. Okay, so of course expectations are high because you've got uh, uh, Ron Clemens and John Musker in there. Am I saying their names right? I always think I'm getting their names screwed up. Yep. You know I mess up names, right? Just, just call Ron, Ron and John. John. Yes. So I was yep. already, I'm sold as soon as I heard that they were back because I mean they they can hardly do no wrong most of the time. I mean, I mean after mm-hmm. Little Mermaid, I'm I'm hooked. 
<laughs> really. So I already hear that they were coming in there and working on this. I knew it was going to be quality. Uh, and so I, I've been excited about that. I thought it was great casting to have uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson in there playing a character. I thought that was mm-hmm. going to be great fun and such a great character for him to play. Maui, you needed somebody who could be a bit of a you know, a Hercules type with a major ego and who better to cast, really? Exactly. Just a larger than life oh, yes. personality. In fact, he's so large in the life, I, I can't help it when he popped up and he had his song, I started thinking of the genie. Did you? <laughs> I did. And it's interesting that you brought that up because uh, part of the way that Maui uh, presents himself and interacts with Moana and us as an audience is that his body is covered mm-hmm. with tattoos. But these tattoos magically come to life to describe the different experiences that he had in life. You mentioned the genie. Would you like to know who it was that animated, tattooed Maui? The same animator that worked on the genie? Exactly. Eric Goldberg. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> it's because it just perfectly fits. And really, uh, he's got this great song called You're Welcome. <laughs> I loved that song. I was, that, it was just catchy. It was, it was funny. I enjoyed it. <laughs> the music in this was great. As did I. Yeah, and, and can we just talk about the music for a moment? Um, I'm sure most of our listeners may have heard of uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. He is a uh, he's on Broadway with a show called Hamilton right now, talking about one of our great forefathers, uh, country's forefathers, Alexander Hamilton. Um, and this music it's it's not just your typical Disney Alan Minken style, you know, happy go lucky. Uh, Broadway show, it brings in a lot of different influences and a lot of different styles to uh, really bring across the messages, and they fit perfectly, and it's quite a fresh bit of fresh mm-hmm. air uh, when it comes to the music of a Disney musical, which not to put down Alan Minken or, or you know even uh, you know Randy Newman with the uh, Pixar movies or Michael Giacchino, uh, but it's a nice different uh, sound yeah, uh, and in fact, I found a pretty good article on Slate.com about uh, a lot of different things about the Polynesian myths and influence. And uh, there were a couple of really good pro- uh, paragraphs here about the music. And it says, The songs in Moana do just as much to impart a halo of authenticity. Along with Lin-Manuel Miranda, the upstart Broadway king whose multicultural musical Hamilton has become the nexus for another round of our culture wars, the film's musical team included Opatea Foa'i, a singer-songwriter born in Samoa and raised in New Zealand. Foe mm-hmm. traces his heritage to the island nation of Tokalau and Tuvalu. If I'm saying this wrong, my Polynesian friends will let me know. And since 1994, he has led a world music band called Tevaka, performing songs mainly in the Tokaloan language or tongue. One of these, an upbeat tune called Togo Lepate from the 2011 album Havili, was re-recorded with minimal changes for the Moana soundtrack, and it's featured in some trailers for the film. Traditional Polynesian music is percussive and heavily chant-based, and Foe kept those elements strong in the mix, often with traditional instruments, but there naturally had to be accommodations for Miranda's expositional patter and for the composerly bombast of Mark Mancina, whose other Disney credits included Tarzan and The Lion King. A song called Where Are You, early in the film, clearly bears the stamp of all three contributors. It's a crash course in the utopian self-sufficiency of Motunui Moana. 
Moana's island home, consider the coconut, her father prompts, and what wonderfully silly lyric unfolds a real truth about the resourcefulness of island life. But as Moana soon makes clear in the anthem how far I'll go, considering the coconut is of secondary concern because her eye is trained on the horizon. Really well-written paragraphs and a lot of great information. I Because the music was great and even the characters were doing like some traditional dance and it was just beautifully done and... Uh, even uh, when uh, Grandma, I think it's Tala, let me check that again, but uh-huh. she's out there dancing next to the water and tells Moana, says, I am, you know, following the flow of the water and dancing. And it really did have a flowing style to it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get some actual Polynesian dancers to dance and show them these dances so they could make it look good. Uh, wow. Oh, well, you know, one of... The, the Ron and John made three trips to Polynesia. One was uh, to get the look of Polynesia, one was to get the culture of Polynesia, and one was to get the music of Polynesia. And boy, did they. So definitely they did. They did. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie is for the first time in, I think, almost ever, this was a movie that really does not have an antagonist. Yeah. It's a story of Moana growing up, learning about herself and what she can do and overcoming the barriers that life has put in front of her. That's really the protagonist. It's the, antagonist the typical man versus is... nature sort of type of thing. Except for it's also it's also exactly. man versus himself is what we call that type of film. Exactly. She was, although she seemed very confident about, well, the, the ocean chose me for this. Uh, and she seemed mm-hmm. pretty confident, but she always was questioning, well, why was I chosen? And instead of getting an answering of why why I was chosen, she's she at one point, even though I felt like we had to learn the lesson twice over, she comes to that point of mm-hmm. realizing, well, I am Moana, and I this is what I do, so that must be why I was chosen because I am who I am, and I'm going to do what I do. Exactly. Trying to put it lightly to not spoil anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and sadly, you know, there there was kind of a cliche trope that precedes that revelation. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it is a wonderful mm-hmm. movie with a fantastic message. And I just can't recommend it enough. It was really yep, wonderful. Yeah, there's great story, great characters. Although I would like to have seen more of the little pig. He was adorable, but he didn't get to go on the trip. <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, we got plenty of Yes, hey, voiced hey, by no. Alan no, Tudyk. Hey, hey. Hooray! <laughs> yes, and modeled after producer, or I'm sorry, the director, uh, John Clements. <laughs> Which is fun. And apparently Ron was the pig. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, uh, again, it's a, a, a really wonderful and terrific movie. Um, kept my family fascinated throughout it and kept us laughing. and Just great fun. Again, walking out with yep. a great feeling. The one yeah. thing I thought was weird, now, though, uh, is also putting the title at the end of the movie, which is becoming a tradition in film. But I always liked the... like. When, when Clemens and Musker, you know, when they would do their films before, you know, Beauty and the Beast, when you get to the title, it's after you've had this great uh, backstory given, and then it comes up, and it's, you know, you see Beauty and the Beast. Or Little Mermaid, the way it fades into a great musical note. Or The Lion King, after you've had the circle of life, and then, boom, The Lion King. You, you're, you're used to these big, bam, Disney title, and then... This one, where was it? Oh, there it is at the end. Because I, I was sitting there going, did I miss the title thing? It seems to be gone. And then, you you know, they did the typical mm-hmm. thing of showing it at the very end of the movie. I'm like, why do people do that? I don't like that. 
Well, I sure hope that even though they waited till the end to show the title, I hope you waited till the very yes, end. Yes, because there, I it would have been better if Alan Tudyk was the voice of the crab because it, I, I, and I thought maybe that was him because of the, the setup for the crab. There was there's definitely could have been considered a Firefly reference, uh, but actually I guess that was mm-hmm. that was Tomatoa was that crab right? That's Jermaine Clement, which That's I'm not right. familiar with him as. But. Oh, you know, he, he uh, Jermaine Clement has uh, definitely uh, provided quite a bit of infor- uh, entertainment to us. He's uh, half of the Flight of the Concords. He uh, was in Men in Black 3 as the main villain. He did the music for the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted. Um, and I'm trying to think of... I know that there's uh, some other Disney references for him, but unfortunately they're just not coming to my mind. But... Uh, yeah, he's he's definitely a character. Definitely, and as is as is Tomatua as well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, his stinger at the end is just perfect and makes a, a wonderful reference to another Ron and John. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth waiting around. So stick around through the credits, definitely till the very end, because it's sort of like Frozen had a really cute little add-on at the very end at the credits. I, I think this is becoming a Disney animated tradition here, maybe piece at a time. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. even Big Hero no, Six and, had a great uh, scene at the end. Oh yeah, you know, and, and another thing, you know, I um, would love to see, you know, what Pixar used to do with the uh, yes. outtakes. I and miss still, those so much. Yeah, anytime we can. Yeah. But you know what? With Marvel movies, we've got our stingers. Yeah, I certainly don't mind a stinger at the end of uh, of our. That's right. But there is a whole lot of culture in this movie, and uh, I, I think we'll take a little break here before we talk about the culture, because you know what? I think we need both a story time and a ride-through about the Enchanted Tiki Room, where we've heard, actually, a little bit of Polynesian and Hawaiian mythology. All right. This is your Neverland story time. You can listen along with your MP3 device. You will know it is time to listen when you hear the chime like this. Let's begin now. My name is Maui. Natives call me the Mighty One. I tamed the playful sun and gave my people time. Now they set their clocks by mine, for I am Tropic Standard Time. Aloha, Wahini me Kyonimana. I am Koro. Midnight dancer. Today my magic feet no move. My head sore. But last night, all tiki gods have big time. Sham luau. When drums begin to pound, my head full. Big sound. They call me Tangaroaru, the east wind. And I am Hina, goddess of rain. We often travel together, wind and rain, through tropic lands across the seven seas. Come closer so that you may see what magic there is in fantasy.
of fire and volcanoes. Some say I torment Pornagendi, the earth balancer. For when my violent temper rises, the earth trembles on its foundation. Legends say I'm balancing the earth. But sad to say, I'm just hanging on. I'm the one who's really sad. When I smile, it comes out mad! Uomauka ea oka aino ika pono. Me, Rongo, god of agriculture. My land's so good to me, I got time for sport. I fly kite. Me number one kite flyer. Too bad. I no have key. Then me, I find electricity. I am Tangaroa, father of all gods and goddesses. Here in this land of enchantment, I appear before you as a mighty tree. Stand back! Oh, mystic powers, hear my call. From my limbs, let new life fall. Vahini Mekioni Mana, ladies and gentlemen. Come with us to a world of joyous songs and wondrous miracles. Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. my good friend, Fritz. Ach, to Lieber, I almost <laughs> fell out of my number touch. Yeah. Glad to see you all aboard. Uh, uh, sure, or <laughs> wherever you are. My goodness, you're all staring at us. 
We better start to show Raleigh. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the glee club. <laughs>
Okay, I did a lot of research. Now, back in high school, 
uh, I was I, I had studied Greek mythology. Uh, we had a mythology club, and I was well, I was you know, we, we'd kind of give ourselves we'd take a, a name of one of the gods uh, that we would have in the, within the club. I was Hephaestus the first year, and then my second year when I was a senior, I was Zeus, and I was I was the president of the club, and so I was you know having to organize everything with the uh, the instructor and stuff like that. Uh, but I I got pretty knowledgeable. I even went to a state competition and took second. Uh, in a in a testing, uh, so this was interesting. This is a completely other side of the world for me to look into, and, and especially even the concept of a demigod. To me, uh, in Greek mythology, a demigod is a half god. This is where when mm-hmm. Zeus had his many uh, dalliances with mortals, you'd end up with a demigod. And so I kind of sort of expected that's what it would be. Now the the movie did present Maui as being born a human, and I believe that seems to be the case. Uh, but I did find some stories about Maui. Uh, but uh, there's also all these other interesting gods that uh, I thought you know would be fun to kind of dive into. And I actually found a list of eleven of them, and uh, I thought we would kind of just go through this list real quick. Uh, but the for, and, and forgive us for pronouncing this wrong. If you're in uh, Hawaii uh, and you would like to pronounce these for us, feel free to send us a voicemail or something. Because <laughs> these are very difficult. Uh, and the first one here is uh, Kamahoali. And this is a Hawaiian shark god who was the chief of many lesser shark deities in the Hawaiian pantheon. Komoho, Kamoho, I hope I'm saying that one right, it was the brother of the fire goddess Pele and was considered the guardian god of the Hawaiian Islands. He alone of all of Pele's relatives tried to aid her when she was seeking to avoid her marriage to the boar god Kamapuea. Kamoho also ruled over the shark men or were sharks as they are apparently sometimes called. Uh, these beings were greedy humans cursed by Kamoho to periodically transform into sharks. They could be recognized by the large shark tattoos that Kamoho branded onto their backs. Now, how we can tie this over into Moana is there is some fun bits where uh, Maui is having trouble with his shape changing and he does have a half shark body. And it might be to teach him a lesson. You could think of it that way. And also having the tattoos of, uh, of an animal, they do uh, with Grandma Tala. She has a tattoo that does play a significant role animal-wise, which I don't want to say because it'll spoil stuff. But there's some influence apparently right there in Moana. Right there, I just, from reading this. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the next god that's on the list is Milu. Uh, this is a goddess who rolled over the subterranean land of the dead, which shared her name. Uh, there's a cave that led to a realm, and the mouth of this cave was guarded by two gigantic lizards. The association of lizards with the land of the dead comes from the way that lizards often feed on flies. If there's one thing that dead bodies do, it's attract flies. She would punish the souls of the wicked by feeding them on flies and beetles, and then devour them after cooking them in her eternally burning oven. Now, there is some confusion existing here, because Milu is sometimes depicted as male in some myths. Now, I, I can't help it, but when they talk about, you know, dead bodies attracting flies, I thought of something else that attracted flies, and I'm like, Milu could have been a goddess over that, and that would have been terrible. But I'll leave okay, that sit right there. <laughs> well, that sounds like a really bad way to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this is holds the wicked, so you better be good, I guess. Okay, well, next on our list, Kahaloi, or Kahoali. I, I'm probably getting yeah, that I think wrong. that's it. Kahoali. Yeah, Kahoali. 
the god of sorcerers and sorcery. His favorite drink was kava, served with human eyeballs in it. Shaken, not stirred, we might assume, because, you know, it's that James Bond thing. Uh, he could construct wood, stone, or coral figures, and then bring them to life to do his bidding. Very cool. Kuali's wife was Paluhu, the sorcery goddess of the island of Molokai. His priest was always greatly feared and was permitted to eat with the chiefesses. Chiefesses. That's a heck of a word. And one of his priests was noted for his Rasputin-like influence over King Kamahalaha. Um, Kamehameha. Kamehameha. Yep. Uh, and his nemesis was the god Lono, the one deity who could cure all harm inflicted by the sorcery god. Well, the next god that's on our list is Haumea. This was a Hawaiian mother goddess who was prayed to by midwives attending at the birth of children. Now, um, sometimes she's associated with the primordial earth goddess Papa, who is the wife of Rangi, the sky god. Now, another famous myth about her involves her ownership of a grove of enchanted trees. One of them produced fish the way that other trees produce fruit. Now, she gave this tree to humans with a warning to never shake the tree to get fish to fall, but instead to wait for the fish to ripen and fall on their own. Now, of course, people being people, this warning was ignored. The tree got shaken by impatient humans, and all the fish fell from the tree, escaping into the sea from which humans now have to work and fish them up. That's a good story. I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I actually did come across some other stories where you have like the Earth Goddess Papa and the wife Rangi and the Sky God, the Papa and Rangi kind of thing. There's I um, I when we come across Maui, I think Maui was supposed to have pushed them further apart at one point mm-hmm. to give a bit more space. But we'll get to Maui when we when we get him on the list. I found even more information about Maui. There's there is some fun stories there. But uh, Kamapua. The warlike god of wild boars and the husband of the fire goddess Pele. Well, we already know about Pele. She's, uh, you know, will eat you, feed you flies, and eat you later when you're wicked. (laughs) So, in his human form, he was a handsome warrior armed with a mace, and when the battle lust was upon him, his snout became tusked and hog-like, and he was virtually uncontrollable. And for a quick pop culture reference, think of him as a combination of Wolverine and the Incredible Hulk when he's enraged. Marvel! For other qualities he shared with the wild boars, he was the lord of where the wearability or to use his snout and to dig up edible roots and find underground springs. And many myths in the saga involved his evil stepfather's attempts to have killed him as a child, his slaying of the dogman creature Coolio. I don't think it's supposed to be pronounced that way, but that's what it looks like. But it also in his wanderings from island to island, marrying the daughters of chiefs and fighting their father's enemies. Inevitably, his volatile nature would antagonize his father's-in-law and he would flee to another locale. And his final marriage was to the goddess Pele. He bested all her other suitors at the contest held for her hand, but she still refused to marry him until her family intervened on his behalf. Now, I would have... I wouldn't imagine she would have that many suitors, being that she's kind of the goddess of the wicked dead and eats human souls that have she's fed flies to. But maybe she was really hot because she was the <laughs> goddess of fire. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, just there's some things there that remind me of uh, Odysseus. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, the next god that's on our list is Laka who was a fertility and reproduction goddess. How did I get all of these? <laughs> never mind, never mind. You got the midwife one, you got the reproduction one. and Exactly. Oh, um, I now, won't even La- tell you a story I read about Maui that was um, 
very weird of uh, him going through an island goddess uh, from one end of her body to the other. I won't say any more about that, but I'm skipping that story okay. later. <laughs> well, with Laka was the wife of the god Lona, who we've discussed before, and I think it's coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, she was also considered the goddess of love and beauty. Now, she is credited with inventing the hula dance and is sometimes identified with Pele's sister, uh, the goddess Hiiaka, but is most often considered a separate deity. The red lehua blossom is sacred to Laka and is among the flowers used to decorate her shrine, Huahu, in the Halau Temple. The hymns sung during hula dances are also dedicated to Laka. To avoid confusion, be aware that in other Polynesian island groups there is a Laka who is a male hero of a popular epic myth. This male Laka is also known as Rata since consonant pronunciation varies from island group to island group. That is why Kane is also known as Tane. Maybe it's Kane. Yeah, I'm thinking that's Kane. I've been seeing that yeah. a lot of my research. Pele is also known as Pere. Ku is also known as Tu. Hina is also known as Sina. Lono is also known as Rongo. Tahiti is pronounced Kahiki in Hawaii, and so on. Yeah, and the, there actually is some influence from Tahiti in Moana, except for they did Tafiti, which I had to look around, and it, there was an influence from Tahiti. Uh, and and I, maybe Tahiti is shaped, because this, this island in the film has a very particular shape. And so I was curious about anything realistic to that. And uh, I guess the island of Tahiti might look like that, but I've never been there. Uh, but that would be something interesting to check out. Uh, it's to see if the island of Tahiti from the right angle looks like a uh, reclining woman. That would be interesting to know, to know. But I've never been there. One of these days I should go. So, All right, but the next one on our list. Okay, now remember, the last one that I, I talked about, Kampuaa was a, a warlike god of wild boars. So do not get him confused with Ku, the Hawaiian god of war. Ku wields a fiery mace that burns with the souls of the gods, demons and mortals he has personally slain in combat. So he kills demons and gods. Scary guy. So Ku, like his brothers Kane and Lono, was a child of the sky god Rangi and the earth, god, earth goddess Papa. Which is weird that it's the earth goddess Papa, because it sounds, you know, Papa. <laughs> Ku's prowess in battle was responsible for saving all the deities in the Hawaiian pantheon after the separation of Papa and Rangi caused a massive assault by the storm god Apuaha, which I believe makes an appearance in the Tiki Room, perhaps. Uh, next went another of his brothers, the sea god Kanaloa, also called Tangoroa and the other Polynesian island groups, launched a war against his fellow deities. It was Ku who prevailed against him through the conflict caused the submergence of Havaki, the mythical home island of all the Polynesian peoples, an event that supposedly caused their massive nautical migration to various island groups. Human sacrifices were offered to Ku at Hayum temples. Now, I do see a potential Moana influence with talking about the nautical migration of various island groups, because uh, mm-hmm. there is a, a definite element of that in this story in Moana of, you know, sailing from island to island and, and migrating. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to say a whole lot, because we'll spoil <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Well, that takes us now to Lono, who is the god of cultivated agrarian foods, especially the Kamara or sweet potato. I'm an Idaho boy, so I think I'd get along with Lono. (laughs) Especially, oh my goodness, the sweet potato casserole I had last night (laughs) over at my uh, stepbrother's home. (gasps) So good. But anyways. 
Alright, well, in the early days, following the separation of Rangi and Papa, Lono used a net to fish up the sun and the moon from the seas and set them in orbit. That's not quite the same as stopping or slowing down the sun. Right. We'll get to that. (laughs) Exactly. Now, when it came time to create humans, he supplied the fertile soil to create them. His brother, Ku, sculpted the bodies, and their oldest brother, Kane, breathed life into them. Lono liked to descend from the heavens on a rainbow and surf. You know, several figures in Hawaiian mythology surf. How can you not love that? <laughs> uh, now this, but this is how he met and married the mortal woman, Taki uh, Taikilani. Yeah, I think I've got that. I think you do. That sounded sounded authentic to me. Her beauty was so intense that he was frequently jealous, and on one occasion was so convinced that she had been unfaithful that he had struck her down with his godly powers. Oops. Repenting of this act, he wandered the island, warning her, and in her memory instituted the Makahiki Festival that lasts from October to February, which is the rainy season. The rains are said to be Lono's tears over the loss of Kaikilani, though other myths say they are Rangi's tears over being separated from his wife, Papa. Lono later married the goddess Laka. Well, that was kind of a neat story. Mm-hmm. Sad, though. It does remind me, actually, of Hercules, where he had accidentally killed a wife and child and then had to do the 12 labors to uh, make up for it. Mm-hmm. Also see some uh, some interesting parallels in Greek mythology to Hephaestus and his wife Aphrodite, the goddess of love, that he could never trust her. Mm-hmm. But who would, really? You know, it's Aphrodite. But, uh, <laughs> all right, moving on to, we've talked a lot about him, but here he is, Kane, the chief of the Hawaiian Trinity which also consists of his brothers Lono and Ku. In contrast to Lono being the deity of cultivated foods, Kane was the god of wild foods and plants like trees, etc. Uh, He was also the god of the forests and the jungles with all their gifts like wood, medicinal plants, and leaves, etc. Uh, When the close proximity and constant lovemaking of Papa Anrangi was preventing the birth of all deities who had formed in Papa's womb, Kane was the god who separated them by growing upward like the tree he is the lord of, keeping earth and sky separated and allowing himself and all his siblings to be born, though one lone deity, Lau, remained in Papa's womb and his stirring is the cause of earthquakes. After death, virtuous souls would go to Hanumoku, Kane's paradisal island in the clouds. In some myths, Hunamoku is also the home of all the heavenly gods, sort of like Asgard in, uh, in Norse myths, and also Malolupus in the Greek and Roman myth. Uh, Kane was generally a benevolent deity, and human sacrifices were never offered to him. Kane is the father of Pele, and in various myths, owns a seashell, which, when placed in the water, grows into a boat for travel between the islands. I think I saw a little bit of influence of that in Moana, with sprouting boats. Okay, now it's time for some fun. Alright, here we go to the Hawaiian Superman. Hawaiian Maui. Superman. Now, Maui is sort of a Polynesian Hercules in some respects. He's a demigod who's also a trickster deity as well as a sun god. Now, when Maui felt that the sun that Lono fished up out of the sea moved too quickly across the sky, which made the days too short, he physically attacked the sun, beating it and taming it like a beast, forcing it to move more slowly that humans would have longer days to finish their work in. In some versions, he actually first lassos the sun with vines from coconut trees. 
The other feats he's credited with are pushing the sky up even further above the Earth than it was originally was when Kane first separated Papa and Rangi. He slewed a giant. He slew. He slew a giant <laughs> eight-eyed bat. He gave humans fire by stealing flames from the eternally burning oven of Milu, the death goddess. He fished up various Polynesian island groups with his massive strength, including the Hawaiian island that bears his name. He transformed his brother-in-law into the first gods. Uh, he saved his sister, the moon goddess Hina, from the eel god Tatuna and his legion of sea monsters, then married her himself, and he also created shrimp from his own blood. Well, what can I say except you're welcome? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, his final adventure involved a failed attempt to gain immortality for humanity. And this is where we will end this because this is very weird. Let's just say he failed and it was really weird what he did. And I read it and yes. uh, it's, it's, it's not necessarily family friendly. <laughs> but he tried to run through the body of a goddess and he failed. He didn't make it to the other side before the end of the day. Uh, before they woke up. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> what can I say? You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> and you're going to thank me for not telling you the entire story. Because <laughs> if you ever read the whole thing, you'd be like, he did what? Yeah. <laughs> Well, why don't you tell us about probably the best known Hawaiian okay. god? Well, I have a little bit uh, some specific things because you'll notice there was okay. no mention of the fish hook, and I did do a little no. bit more research on Maui because I was like, "Well, where did the fish hook come from? Is this a real thing?" And uh, there is a mention on in Wikipedia of the hauling of the islands. It says the great fish hook of Maui is called Manae Kalani, and it is baited with the wing of Hina's pet bird, the Ale. Maui is said to have created the Hawaiian Islands by tricking his brothers. He convinces them to take him out fishing, but catches his hook upon the ocean floor. He tells his brothers that he has caught a big fish, and tells them to paddle as hard as they can. His brothers paddle with all their might, and being intent with all their effort did not notice the island rising behind them. Maui repeats this trick several times, creating the Hawaiian Islands. Another tradition states that as Maui plants his hook at Hamakua to fish up the god of fishes, Pimo, Maui orders his brethren not to look back or the expedition will fail. Hina, in the shape of a bailing gourd, appears on the surface of the water and Maui unwittingly grasps the gourd and places it in front of his seat. Suddenly there appears a beautiful woman whose beauty none can resist, and so the brothers look behind them to watch the beautiful water goddess. The line parts, Hina disappears, and the effort to unite the chain of islands into one solid unit fails. Uh, and also, the with restraining the sun, uh, his mother Hina complains that her kappa, or bark cloth, is unable to dry because the days are so short. So Maui climbed up the mountain, Hale Akalana, House of the Sun, and lassos the sun's rays as the sun comes up, using a rope made from his sister's hair. The sun pleads for her life and agrees that the day shall be long in summer and short in winter. In another version, he sends uh, Hina sends him to a big wee wee tree or wheelie 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 tree, uh, and he finds his old blind grandmother sitting setting out bananas and steals them one by one until she recognizes him and agrees to help him. He sits by the trunk of a tree to rope the sun, and the island of Maui and the constellation Maui's fish hook, known in the West as Scorpio, are named after this. And I really enjoyed that I found that because they did use it in the movie. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. that was amazing. Uh, now, I did find, uh, and I, I didn't keep it there, but there is a bit of a complication in tricking to actually bringing fire to man, where it has something to do with a fire chicken and a bunch of weird stuff. But there's a lot of great stories from Mali. But, yeah, as you were saying, we do have the number one to talk about. Pele, 
the Hawaiian fire and volcano goddess. When she's happy, it comes out at mad! Uh, as dangerous and uncontrollable as the elements she ruled over. Uh, she's placed at number one because she is the most truly Hawaiian of deities, with no counterpart in other Polynesian island groups except in Tahiti, where she is called Pere. And may have been unknown even there until the era of European exploration of the Pacific Ocean. Her volatile nature prompted her father Kane to dismiss her from the heavens, so she wandered the earth, creating the world's volcanoes, until finally establishing her home on Mount Kelawa, something like that, Kalawa. Yeah, Kilauea. <laughs> Kilauea, on the Big Island. Another indicator of Pele's importance in the Hawaiian pantheon is the fact that Mount Kalea is the axis mundi in Hawaiian belief. Uh, now, I guess there is something specific about uh, Axis Moonday, but I have no idea what it is. But if you are so inclined to get on Google, that's Axis, as exactly how you would expect it, Axis, and Moonday, M-U-N-D-I. And uh, there's apparently there's a lot of stuff about mythology that, there's, that, that pops up, but I've never heard of this before in Greek mythology. So I have no idea. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up a lot of what we dug up here for uh, some Hawaiian and Polynesian mythology. And, you know, the influences in the film Moana are, are definitely there, but they did do a lot of inventing themselves, uh, giving Maui an interesting backstory that he has a tattoo, which we will not talk about because I don't want to spoil anything. And uh, Also, they did come up with an interesting story, uh, came up with an island goddess, Tafiti, which, as I mentioned before, uh, was actually apparently based on Tahiti from where the research I was finding. So definitely some interesting influence, a lot of great possible stories, which I'm sure when they were looking at this, it must have been the same way when they were developing the ideas for Hercules, because you have such rich stories and legends that uh, you, you, it's hard to probably decide what you want to use and what you want to adapt to kind of put in there to just flesh out the world you're sort of creating and representing. Uh, and that's one of the things that's been great about Disney films is, you you sometimes get some interesting culture. I mean, Jungle Book, you got a little bit of the culture of India in there. Mulan had some great culture from China. Uh, I mean, it, it's great to see these cultural influences coming into these Disney films that really it's invites us into another world and another look at things that we're not used to. And uh, that's that's one of the fun things of Disney imagination and creativity is bringing these things in fun fun into us in fun ways. And I guess that pretty much wraps it up for us. So uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and you're ready now for the holiday season to begin because it's already kicked off in the parks. And so we're going to have some fun. Uh, and I do have I have lots of fun ideas. Hey, did, did you realize, Eric, that uh, Ernest Saves Christmas is a Touchstone movie, which Touchstone was a Disney company. Yep, Ernest saves Christmas, Ernest mm -hmm. goes to camp, I think even Ernest scared stupid, and Ernest goes to jail. We're all mm -hmm. touchstone films. So guess what we're going to be able to talk about this month? <laughs> know what I mean? Know what I mean, Vern? Mm -hmm, exactly. So we're going to have some fun with that this month. We're going to have a lot of fun. I plan on bringing some special friends, which uh, if you listen to Disney Indiana, and if you're not, you should, uh, you might hear a little bit of fun of some special guests that I have planned to come around. But it hasn't. Right. You, have, you haven't heard it on Disney Indiana yet, but you will hear it very soon. I, I'm leaving some very interesting feedback over there. And there will be some fun in the Neverland Karaoke Bar over there. So definitely go and check that show out in the next month. I've got a lot of fun plans for the holidays. You're going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be great because it's Christmas time and I love it. All right. Christmas time is here. Okay. 
That, no, that is not the karaoke bar. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, until next week, make sure you keep a pixie in your pocket. But of course, we mean that good attitude, which you need to have because that's the Christmas spirit. And you got nothing to add to that? <laughs> I got nothing to add. Have All right. Happy, happy rest of your Thanksgiving weekend, and let's go forward to Christmas and a new year beyond that. My goodness, we're wrapping up 2016 already. Woo! Mm. Wow. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you.